Well, I, um, I started something that I can't shake loose. I'm supposed to be in John, but I'm on the home, okay? Uh, started with, uh, because, you know, we don't know what a marriage is anymore, so I thought, well, we might as well teach on it. And uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 5 uh, when I get there. Um, but uh, uh, let me say something about the home. One thing... I taught on the home all the time when I knew the least about it. I was 27 when I started Valley, and I had uh, two children, so, and we had a bunch of young people, so we taught on marriage and the home all the time. Now I see all you folks that are gray-headed, and you've done it all right, and you don't want to be bored with the p pattern. But I'll give you an example. Several months ago, in teaching uh, the Timothy uh, men's class, uh, I was teaching on a father and a home. What does that look like? And uh, I asked the men, I said, uh, how many of you here come from broken homes? Uh, about 50% of the class came from broken homes. Uh, then I went ahead and asked, I said, how many of you fathers, or, or rather you men, uh, were, were ever affirmed or felt affection from your father? About 50%. So 50% of those men, my home was broken for whatever reason. 50% uh, of them never felt loved by their father. That, was, that wasn't in the system. And uh, then it was a heavy class but what, what hits me is that the template, the outline of what a home ought to look like as a Christian isn't automatic. Let's say uh, uh, in this church, we never know where folks are coming from. Let's say if you're a first-generation Christian. See, a lot of folks, they grew up in homes that maybe they're second or third-generation Christians. So there's hopefully been some improvement in family life. But in this church, we've had a lot of first generation. How many first generation Christians do we have in this place this morning? Raise your hand. Okay. You're the first generation in your family to say, I know Jesus Christ. So all of you growing up, you saw an unsaved model of family life. There may have been some good things, bad things. But you couldn't say it was Christian. It wasn't operating on biblical principles. And so, here we, let, let's take a, let's just give a, an example. Let's say, I'm 24. I, I grew up in the drug culture. Uh, Mom and dad were drinkers and drug users, maybe. Uh, they were fighting a lot. Uh, and, uh, but I, I got saved in a meeting gloriously. I know I'm going to heaven. And let's say I break down and decide I can't keep living with my girlfriend or quit being immoral, so I better get married. And so I get married, and now that I'm a Christian, I automatically know how a Christian home ought to uh, be run. Because I brought all this knowledge to it. What knowledge? Well, I saw my dad and mom fight all the time, a lot of booze, a lot of this, a lot of that. And, and then her family was this way and that way and this. And we combined the dysfunctions of both families, and we got our own dysfunction. Called a little hell on earth. Not heaven. Because we got a messed up family system over here, messed up family system here. We mixed them together, and we've got nothing but a big mess. Both sides. And so, I find out, just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you know how to be a Christian husband. And just because you became a Christian doesn't mean you know how to be a Christian wife. And this is something, not just, uh, I'm just talking, okay, I'm not mad, I'm just here. Uh, you're already tense, I can just see it. Uh, is that uh, just because two Christians live in your house does that mean it's run like a Christian home. We just got two people that claim to know the Lord, and we may not see any evidence, Harley, of anything there that looks like a Christian home according to the Bible. 
Now, let's ask this. Does the gospel of Jesus Christ change home life? How has it changed your home? Uh, I used to romanticize uh, where my dad grew up. I thought anything Midwest was Bible Belt. Anything, you know, the right and left arm of the nation. Anything on the coast is as liberal as it gets. But you go inland and it gets nicer. And so I used to romanticize. My father was born in Cherokee County, 1908. And his father, I believe John Howard, was born around 1880, right, right in there. So John Howard and his four brothers grew up with Indians, outlaws, bootleggers, mean country, Cherokee Strip. Wasn't even a state. And it's mean people. Kill your cattle, kill your hogs, bootleg, uh, mean people, mean. My dad told me, don't you make us Christian. We were in the hills. There was outlaws. These were, these were pagan, heathen, unregenerate men. This was not church country. This was mean pioneer country. Okay. I asked him one time, since you only had a circuit-riding preacher that could get back there once every four or six weeks if the outlaws didn't mess with them, and they met at no schoolhouse uh, where my, only the women and the children went to, none of the men, they're too busy chewing tobacco and drinking moonshine and being on me. The men didn't go. That's the women. And they stay there all day, pray, hang out, and try to get away from those drunk husbands. And uh, I said to my dad, I said, well, you had no pastor. You had none of this. You had none of that. I said, how did you know if a man ever got saved? You know, they didn't grow up on the deep truths. Oh, he said, that was easy. And I, I said, how was that? He said, well, moonshine gave way to putting milk on the table. They started feeding their kids. Oh, and it's another thing, their wives would heal up. And I said, what? Their wives would heal up. He said, oh, yeah, you whipped your wife. You didn't negotiate. A woman, you beat them around, knock them around. You got them pregnant. My grandmother, both my grandmothers had 10 children. Where are they going to go file for a divorce? He said, we knew when they got saved. Women heal up. Kids start being clothed. Crops start being put in. Still start being broken down. Oh, yeah, we knew when they got saved. It's in America right now. We don't know when they get saved. But we knew then. So it made a difference in the way they treated their wife and their kids. So I thought we would take a little journey and start trying to teach you a little bit on what the Bible says a home ought to look like. Now, uh, you get married. Every marriage is going to have its challenges and no one has to amen this stuff. Just kind of just, just close your eyes and meditate. Like, mmm, that's deep. Yeah, it is. And, and there's four areas that, that every marriage has got to figure out. The number one problem I hear today is finances. Isn't it interesting? When we have the most money, most discretionary income as a whole, at least for a long time we have, they say the Bay Area wages have only gone up 1%. It's not growing too much. But let's say finances. Uh, let, let's, we both get married. Hey, we're both born again Christians. Hallelujah. We got saved. Uh, but we can't talk finances. Uh, her family did it this way. Our family did it that way. We don't know what the Bible says. Uh, one's a spender usually. Another is whatever. And, and so, who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to track money? Well, just say, let's just pray over it. Let, let our checkbook just balance itself in Jesus' name. <laughs> it didn't quite work that way. Somebody has got to balance it. Somebody has got to put it in an envelope, mail it, email it, online bank. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Somebody's got to pay it. Finance. Big deal. 
I'm trying to save it, and Carolyn keeps claiming the gift of giving. <laughs> and I, I was like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, I'm trying to hold it. Oh, we can't take it with us. I said, there's no problem. There won't be any taking. So you, you got to figure that out. Number two, uh, let's come. We're both saved. We're in a marriage. A communication. Uh, how did your family solve problems? Your mom and dad. Well, different patterns. It could be a stereotype. Let's say if you were from a strong Germanic home, if both were Germans, the, the type has been autocratic father, dad, husband, a subordinate wife, and the children had better jump when they should jump. Now, that's, that gets broken down in other cultures. But strong, boy, the man's in charge. Boom. We don't need to discuss. I said it. And all the men said, oh, no, no, don't. Uh, okay. So you get that. That, that comes from other cultures. Uh, a, lot, a lot of cultures. It's amazing, different cultures. There are so many Latin American, primarily matriarchal culture. The men can do all the macho they want, but the woman runs the home indirectly. And they say that. You take an Italian home. Let's say if you come from a Germanic home uh, and you marry an Italian. Can an Italian be quiet in solving a problem? Ask maybe Joe there. She's quiet. Uh, that's a pun. No way. She's going to let you know. She, she's going to get it out. She wants stuff. Not made to stuff. See, some of us are more stuffers, but Italians are known for yelling it out, talking it out, boom. No, okay, oh, this is disaster. That's their system as a whole. You don't have to guess what they're thinking. We learn to play a lot of guess games, don't we? People stuff, people, it doesn't matter. The different communication styles. Now you, you get a marriage, let's say you get an extrovert and maybe a dominant personality, marry a... Uh, Quiet, maybe introvertish. What, let's do uh, this way. Let's make the man the extrovert. She's the introvert. He's dominant. This seems to be closer. I'm not sure. All these are just illustrations. And she uh, doesn't think she has much negotiating power. So uh, they get, he wins all arguments because he's in charge. And she keeps losing, but she is quiet, goes inward. Now guess the next thing on the agenda. Sex. And he says, I'm in the mood for love. And she says, you gotta be kidding. If you win the argument, I keep the body. Or at least I'll read the newspaper while you have a love spell. Because you shut me down in the front room. You wouldn't hear me. You didn't want to know how I felt about anything. But your urgent biological urge just kicked in. And now you think I'm panting to run back and make love. Because you, if you were running the temperature or just been told off, have a biological drive at least up to the age of 21. Pun intended. <laughs> and love has nothing to do with many a man's sex drive. Didn't have to have love at all. It's just a nerd. Matter of fact, he'll pay for it if he has to. He's done it throughout history. And so he wants to go... And he's going to call it make love. And she's going to say, this was just being used because you never heard me in the front room discussion. You shut it down. You wanted, you never listened to me. You just get your way. Well, I will probably physically submit, but I can't be involved. And he's going to say, you just weren't with it. I didn't sense you with me. Oh, I was with you, all right. And if I was bigger, I'd be choking you. And I'm afraid they've learned to choke. A lot of women taking karate. 
See, so, so it goes down. And then, here, here's the, the beauty. Watch this. We're, we haven't figured out finances. We haven't figured out communication. We haven't figured out sexual uh, roles, what we're going to do in this area. And then, what we ought to do is add some children to watch the fight. Let's add the children, because that makes it better, you know. And so you got to pull. Let's watch it. Mom and dad, yeah, go win, mom, go. Well, and do they pick up a pattern of relating? The only pattern they see is these two out-of-control people. They can't agree on money, can't agree on how to resolve an issue, can't agree on uh, physical intimacy and the romantic part of a marriage. And, and now we got kids. And now, which way are we going to raise them? Mama's side or daddy's side? And we're in another stalemate. And so we wonder how sinners can raise sinners and then turn out to love the Savior. So, is there anything about your home that's Christian besides you saying you're born again? Do your kids see God on display? How? They're sick of your church life. They want to see your home life. Dragging them to church, dragging them to church. Let me tell you, a terrible witness at home can't make up for it at church. You must remember this. I never forget what Chuck Swindoll said at an alumni meeting of Dallas students once. He said this, men, he's talking to pastors. Remember this, men, it's hardest at home. If it works at home, it'll work anywhere. The light that shines furthest shines brightest at home. Trying to reach Africa, you need to reach your kids. Are they seeing an authentic model of a Christian marriage? Well, uh, what's our problem? Number one, we're living as a fallen race, and you grew up with fallen patterns in your family and in yourself before you came to Christ. And what did the fall do? Uh, Adam and Eve, they sinned. Uh, and that's an, that's an amazing thing to me right in the fall. How is it she got to take the lead? Why is it she reached out first? And before you blame her, I want to ask this. Tell me if I'm wrong. Where was Adam? Why didn't he grab her arm and say, no, no, no. We've been warned this will kill us. We can't eat this. It kills you. God told me, even before you showed up, Eve, this tree can get us killed. Don't do it, honey. I hear no protest. Where was Adam? <laughs> what? Well, I guess I'll do it. Boom. He abdicated as early as Genesis 3 in spiritual matters. Not about money. Oh, he'll fight for that. He'll fight for sex. He'll fight to always be right, but abdicate on the divine will and let his wife go right into tragedy. And then, guess what he tells God? I thought you were going to give me a helpmate. She's ruined everything. Did he not say it? This is help? This is help? My helpmate has turned this thing into help. Everything's dying now. Our son's going to become a murderer. I'm dying. Vegetation is dying. All the creation is revolting. You, this isn't a helpmate. It's her fault. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Eve, why did you do it? Well, you know that serpent... The serpent didn't give you the rules to start with. Why did you listen to the serpent and not to me? Because it was so slick and so convincing. And uh, what are you going to do now? I'm going to learn to hate my husband enough 
that I will desire to dominate him the rest of my life, and I will manipulate, and I will work around his macho strength, and I will manipulate him, just like a lion getting ready to pounce on a piece of meat. And so the sexual distance and rivalry has been going ever since. Uh, they're hiding, they're full of guilt, full of shame, they're blaming each other, they're running from God instead of to God. This is what happened to the human family from the beginning. And all of this has come into every family tree. Different ways to manipulate, to blame, to uh, abdicate spiritual uh, responsibility. So, boom, we get all of this. Now, we grow up with different family systems. I, I started it, I, I will just name them, I think next week I'll develop them. So families become unloving, not loving. They become compulsive. You do whatever you feel, no matter who it hurts. Critical, not accepting. Uh, always downing each other. Nothing's good enough. Indirect communication, instead of factually telling the truth. We talk about each other, around each other, but not to each other. Uh, inflexible, uh, rather than patient. Controlling environment. Uh, everything, you've you got to march to this drummer. Ungrateful, non-affectionate, no healthy affection, as these men all said, never had it. Uh, on and on. Performance-oriented. Homes that say... Um, my kids are only as valuable as their achievements, for their value is based on what they do, not who they are. My son is the proud, honored student of such and such, and he made this team, and I always say, what if you could say my son was the uh, great C-minus student of his class? I hadn't seen that bumper sticker. Why not? You don't advertise average. Average isn't worth being praised. You've got to find out that the fool and the wise man in Proverbs are not IQ quotients. It's moral choices. Brilliant people make some stupid moral choices. And that's the fool in Proverbs. And the wise man is not an A-plus student in geometry. He makes wise moral decisions. He fears God. He doesn't pass geometry with an A necessarily. If you did it, so be it. Quit bragging. So, we come to uh, the Christian life. And we get Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 that says this. I don't have time to look at the verses with you, but you read it. It says there, put off these kinds of behaviors. Put off lying. Uh, put off the lust of the flesh. Put off. Then he says, put on compassion. Put on love. Uh, and he tells you, and what he's doing, now that you've come into the divine family and you become one of the children of God, you must put off the old behavior patterns identified with the old man, the Adamic family, how we've learned to relate to each other how we abuse each other, how we use each other, all of those sinful manipulations out of survival. It's, it's tough to survive with fellow sinners because the guy you're looking at is as sinful as you. I had a man tell me one time, why is it I can't tolerate in you what I can tolerate in me? I said, your pride. You'll be very critical of another person. Boy, they act... <laughs> And you say, I know because I feel that same way. That's why you can read your kids. They're acting just like you. <laughs> they learned it from you. It's in the genetic code. It's called depravity. They were born sinners from the womb. There's a great argument in church history between two monks, Augustine and Pelagius. Are you born a sinner or do you become a sinner? Pelagius says you become. Augustine championed the day and was right. He agreed with Paul in Romans. We are sinners at conception. And what you brought home from the hospital was a little sinner. 
And you just give them enough time and that little cub is going to develop claws. So you better smack them while you got a chance. And declaw them if you can. What a precious view of children, huh? Now, I won't be able to get to it, I don't think. We'll see how far. I did a crash landing first service. So I had to stop. Four things about a Christian home. The first thing is, is Christ running it? And he says in Ephesians 4, verse 18, common verse, he says to these believers, get yourself under the influence and control of the Spirit. And he begins to tell you what that will do for you immediately. Then he goes and develops it, what it will do for your home, what it will do for your children, what it will do for you in the workplace and here slave master, and what it will do in the evil day when Satan attacks you. So he, he takes the spirit's control in various relationships. How will it look? A Christian home is a home where Christ is on display. Who is the head of your house? You or Christ? If it's you, it's not Christian. You may be a Christian, but you're not leading a Christian home. You won't let the real Christ run it. If he runs it, he'll run it through the power of the Spirit, for it's the job of the Spirit to make the invisible Christ visible in your home. The invisible Christ, he wants to make visible in your home. And how will he make him visible? Well, wherever the Spirit is controlling, he produces a fruit that you can observe. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, patience. Patience is first. Then uh, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I, I know when Christ is in charge because I will see that manifestation, one fruit with nine flavors. It's not just one of them. It's all nine. One fruit. He bears the fruit. And what is fruit? Uh, I nearly cut down my apricot tree this year because I've had three years of no fruit. And I don't know why. I've not watered it. I've not fertilized it, and I've not pruned it, but I want fruit. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I finally paid a little attention to it, and boy, I had a bumper crop, so I was sure not to tell my brother or Don Andrews, because they'd want an apricot pie. And they were stingy with me, so I'm going to be stingy with them. <laughs> Don loved to torture me. Sharon made another pie. Don't tell me. Give me the tithe off of it. Uh, but I, thankfully, it didn't cut it down. But what did that tree do? When it put out that fruit, it manifested the life of the tree. The fruit of the Spirit is the life of Christ put on display in you. Does that make sense? How do I know you've got the life of Christ? I see anger. I see no self-control, no joy. Know this, oh, I, I'm a Christian. Don't tell anybody. You're the worst advertisement we've got. We're looking for fruit. Where is the fruit? Well, why, why do you need fruit? I want to see Christ on display no matter where you are. So your kids start accusing you. Man, they look like love. Wow. I'm not my folks are just sense kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Get over there, kid. That, there just seems to be something superhuman about them. It is when you're under the control of the Spirit. Now, notice what he immediately produces right here. Verse 18. Notice what it would do. The first thing spirit filling is manifested is the way you talk to one another. Speaking to one another in ball scores, finances, and what's wrong with your wife? 
no, no, no. These are positive communications, psalms, songs that build up. Two, it produces singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. I always say this. Uh, it, it didn't say you could be on the worship team. God forbid. It produces a song in the heart. Spirit-filled Christians sing. So, well, I'm not made that way. You, you, you're not made for the filling of the Spirit? Oh, you quench the Spirit. We didn't say you know how to sing. No, 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 no. We're not going that far. It says you sing. Then, and they're always complaining. Oh, wait, wait. Maybe I have a scribal error. No, they're always giving things for some things. All things. Even their mother-in-law. You know why men don't like mother-in-laws? Mother-in-laws tell the wife how to win in the fight against the husband. And the husband knows you're getting your family methods from your mama. And that's why many of us struggle the mother minds in uh, to go ahead. Always giving thanks for all things. Spirit-filled Christians are thankful. They're not gripers. Israel murmured for 40 years in the wilderness, and God killed them. It's one of the sins he killed them for. I'm amazed at how many people murmur in church. They can't quote you a verse. They're destructive to the church. Either get them saved, Lord, or take them where they can't destroy anything. Let them go start a church at Fort Apache where there's no water. And be submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Not, not, wait, and wait, who, who does this submitting to one another? Huh, huh, who, what? Everyone in the house. Men, could your wife learn submission from watching you? There's no woman here in verse 21. It's the whole church, men and women, men and women, that a result of spirit filling is the submissive, cooperative spirit that is not always one-upmanship are trying to prove we're willing to submit to one another. You see that? There's no gender connected to that. It's just, it's a result of the Spirit's filling. No matter male, female, children, adults, it's just a symptom of the Spirit's control. It's wonderful. I wonder if our children and our wives could learn it from us men. We're always telling the women, you submit, you submit. I want to ask the men, when do you submit? You submit when the Spirit controls you, and we obviously haven't seen it for a long time because you've always got to be in charge. Spirit filling produces cooperative, precious people, easy to get along with. If you're hard to get along with, Jesus isn't controlling you. I wish I could make it plainer. Now he goes into, he moves in, what? the spirit filling will look like in a marriage. And here's two things that was lived out in the life of Christ that he once lived out in marriage. Two things. I get this. Two S's. Submission as he submitted to the Father. Did Christ not submit to the Father? Two, his sacrificial love for sinners and in love for the Father. So there's two things he constantly wants on display in a Christian home. Submission to the will of God. Sacrificial love in doing the will of God. So he said, guess what, couple? I'm going to divvy it up where each of you get to emphasize a particular role. I did all of it. I was never married, but I did everything I'm telling you to do. I always submitted to the Father's will, and I had a sacrificial love by which I was willing to die for my bride. Is that clear? 
And he did both. Because submission is not a woman's doctrine. It's for all believers under the Spirit's control. Now, you women, you get to live this out, and you get to model Christ in this attitude. Now, listen to what it says. Wives, be submitting to your own husbands because they're always right. How many of you men have that addition? You've scratched out as to the Lord. You put it in because I'm right. No, their submission is because they're submitting to who? If you're not submitting to the Lord, is that I'm not letting this joker tell me what to do. He's imperfect. As though you were perfect. Let me get in this battle. Well, you love, I'll submit. I'll submit, you love. Oh, who's going to do it first? And neither one have done it yet. <laughs> Only her love for Jesus Christ could ever give her the strength to submit to an imperfect husband. It's her love for Christ. So if your wife is submitting, it's not, I showed her. Because you can't make her. You can subjugate her. You can put a gun to her head. If a guy says, give me your wallet. No, no, I put a gun to my head. Okay. I said, boy, he submitted. No, I didn't. I was subjugated. I was forced. Hear me. Get this. Hear me. And if you find the verse, you bring it to me, and I think I will eat it. I'm not sure. <laughs> the Father never made the Son submit one time. There's not one verse in the Bible that the Father made the Son submit. He says in Philippians, he took the internal attitude of a slave and he just saw it as his joy to submit to the Father in everything. Hear me, hear me. In spirit-filled family living, it is never the job of the husband to make his wife submit. Women, you heard it first here. I expect some love notes with gifts. Pastor, thank you. You heard it here. It is not my job to tell my wife to submit because I'm not big enough to make her submit. I don't have the power to give her that internal willingness to do it. It only comes from the Holy Spirit. Right? And your husband's wondering if there is any Holy Spirit when he sees you. If you never submit. Say, so, man, the Holy Spirit must have died. No, I'm just quenching him. I'm just, I'm standing on the air hose. Uh-uh. I ain't submitting. How many men know when she's not submitting? Even if she does what you say. Different breed here. This you're in a different arena. But woman, you submit and you live out Christ and you put him on display and the fruit of the Spirit will be displayed in you because you have the strength to do what is a hard thing. To ask a human being to submit on any level is hard. We're not submissive by nature. Then it goes to the husband and it says to him, Husbands, love your wives because it's so easy. Uh, that was only when you were running a fever. You know, I got married in a fever. I got married at Jackson Town. Well, you have to be running a fever to think she's always lovable. She's not. Just be married at least two years. And that youthful illusion will melt. Three mornings without her hairdo, dressed, makeup, and she can't wear makeup every night. It's a lover because she's easy to love. Lover because she's always right. She's always lovely. No, lover's just like Christ loved us. And when did he love us? When we were pretty or in our sins? At our worst. Lover when she's eight months pregnant and the thought of you makes her sick. You got me in this condition. 
And she's not pretty. She's throwing up. She's got all kinds of issues physically. And many men cheat on their wife when they're pregnant. It's a fact. She doesn't have her figure. Well, no, it's hard to keep it at nine months. Well, I got to get, get me a fast chick, and when you have the baby, I'll be faithful again. But don't take it personal. You love her like Christ loved an imperfect bride, a sinful bride, a bride that was going to hell, and he decided to love people that hated him and turn them into his bride. And it's a love that cost him his life at the cross. And he says, men, I want you to love. And you say, it's impossible. No one can love that way. Nobody apart from the Spirit could ever love this way. It's insane. It's impossible. And all the men said, amen. amen. This is not natural to us. And I, this must have shocked the New Testament world when they heard this. They've never heard this kind of model. Never in the history of the world have they ever heard, love your wife like Christ loves his church. This is a brand new model, an impossible model. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to make it happen. And it goes on, you ought to love her like you love yourself. Uh, and it goes down. He said, verse 30, this is a great mystery, but I'm talking about the love of Christ for the church. I want you to manifest in your home, although imperfectly, the kind of love I have for my people the church. Now, now, would your kids ever say, I see Christ's love on display in the way my dad treats my mom? Then you've got a Christian home. I see Christ on display by the observable fruit of the Spirit in mom and dad. I, I've seen my mother, who's an outstanding woman, submit to a father that maybe I felt was wrong in a decision or imperfect some way, but her spirit was backing him and willing to be led. She was willing to be, I don't know, I've seen in the church, this is not always true, this is just an example, this is not always true, hear me, this is not always true. <laughs> I've seen women who are much smarter marry men that were much Dumber. Not always, not in your marriage. <laughs> but I've seen it. And I think, what a deal for the smarter one to follow whoever over here. <laughs> but she's got to do it. Because it's not based on who's the smartest, it's roles. God ordained roles by which the culture has said, no, there are no role differences. Uh, women don't need to stay home. They're only good to make a salary. Kids will grow up automatically shaped. No, they won't. They'll, they'll grow up with something missing that no amount of money can buy. Uh, you can't buy a mom. There's no bonuses for being a mom except maybe kids that love you and kids that want you. So he says here, the design is a home under the lordship of Christ that is made real by the ministry of the Spirit controlling. That's when it's like a Christian home. Otherwise, it's just two Christians operating off of old patterns, either from their parents or what they what they perceive to be right, but it's not a divine template. And that's what I see with many young couples in this church. Uh, they got saved, first generation. Uh, their father was unfaithful, maybe the mother. The home was a wreck, all of that tragic pain. And then they, over here, they start messing up their home because they don't know how to treat wife, and then we, as we'll try to look next week as we look at these different family systems, the heartbreak is these two professed Christians raise a child in an incredibly out-of-control environment, and the kid goes away. He says, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. It made no difference. 
No difference. Matter of fact, my folks are getting a divorce. You mean in the church? Oh, yeah. In the church. You mean Christian homes are in trouble? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you mean there's kids that are throwing up church? Absolutely. Why? They can't stand the preacher. Okay. That's one reason to have nausea. Now, what else? They can't stand the people bringing them. They can't stand the people who bring them. Says, you don't have credibility with me. And the biggest thing missing in our homes is, is there a credible representative of Jesus Christ in the home? Can your kids see God in you? I think that's the thing about us kids with our own father. My father backslid. He was in and out of church different times. Made major, sometimes so hard. He was so tough on the older kids. They always remind Ruth and I of that. Because we're the youngest. We're the brats. He finally was wearing out from spanking. He was hard. Boom, 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 boom. Um, you know one of the greatest things my father did for me? He, I was in my teen years when he was in his 50s, and he would drive me around to preach and tell me of all the mistakes he'd made. He wasn't in that critical mode anymore because he'd blown it. He'd blown it so much it wasn't even funny. David was the lost child. He's the guy that always looked good at home. But was out here had another life, do anything his folks said, pay the bills for him, whatever. He was Johnny. Was, Paul's married at such a young age, uh, had his own family before he was 20. Got out of there. My sister Hazel, you never think there's a fault in the whole family because she never would talk about the, and she knew everything. So much uh, failing, get backsliding, getting out of church, getting mad at the preacher, Mistakes, mistakes, hard on my sister, hard on the boy, all this stuff. And then he'd be driving along and be telling, I said, Dad, you don't have to tell me this stuff. But he started crying. He said, this is what drove me to the grace of God. Nobody could have failed as much as your old daddy and not had to come to the grace of God. I did Paul too hard. I did Hazel too hard. I backslid here. I should have stayed in church, but I got mad at the preacher because he's sleeping with the piano player that's 15 years old. So I just backslid and got out of church. But I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. I wasted many years. I wasted many years. I said, quit it, Dad. You're breaking my heart. He said, I'm telling you, Dad is a great sinner. And we couldn't use that language among Pentecostals because we all thought we were nearly perfect. And when he called himself a great sinner, I said, you've got to cut it out. He said, no, your daddy's a sinner and you are too. It's only going to be the grace of God. And I said, well, how is it God saved all five kids? Because God is gracious. And your dad's imperfect. Any perfect parents here? You make any mistakes? It was the grace of God that forgave you, you ought to offer that same grace to your kids. They ought to see a graciousness, a humility, at admitting your faults instead of, we're Christian, well, act like it. We're Christian, but where's Christ? Where's Christ in your home? Where is in your temperament? Where is in your philosophy? You're raising them on a perfectionistic approach, and yet you're the biggest sinner in the house. And they're always on a judge. You got a scorecard you carry on your kids all the time. Scoring, scoring, scoring. Why don't you burn up the card and love the kid? Why don't you burn up the card just like God tore up his card at the cross, said all liabilities have been done away at the cross. I can love you for Christ's sake alone. Yeah. Yeah. Next week, we'll look at family systems and what they look like and what they do to our children. May God save our homes. We need a family revival before we have a church revival. If God doesn't do anything in your home, how can you expect him to do anything in the church? You know what? This church is made up of homes, 
And if at your home you don't have enough gumption to turn off the TV, you don't have enough gumption to control all the tech being poured into your kids, I'm an old-fashioned, you think I owe my son an iPhone by 15? Oh, come here, son. God, I'll tell you what an iPhone I'm going to give you. You get an old can, and you get string, and you talk to it. It's all the iPhone you're going to get around here. And the other iPhone, you're going to get that. Because you've got to be in charge, because you brought a little sinner home. Don't let them take over your home. God holds us men and us wives responsible for that home. And don't say, well, I, I'm just tired at the end of the day. You shouldn't have got, you weren't tired enough to get pregnant. That would lessen your love life. If you knew every time that you'd have a junior, say, it ain't worth it. Abstinence looks good. But once they get here, God wants you to shape them and let them, if they go to hell, go over your prayers, the fruit of the Spirit, and you holding on and interceding and living for God. And son, if you want to go to hell, I can't keep you from it. But I prayed, I prayed, and I'm going to love Christ in the meantime. And if I have to say goodbye to you at the white throne judgment, no, your daddy and your mama prayed, sought God. We wanted to reach you for Christ. But Christ alone saves. I want you to know it. Father, give us a revival in our home. Put Christ on display. Give us the guts to turn out all the interventions and all the interruptions in our home. Let us quit letting Hollywood entertain us and let the fruit of the Spirit control us. Oh, we need revival. We're in a mess as a country and as a culture, and only things from above can change us. Change our children, our grandchildren, before it's eternally too late. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll try to finish it up next week. God bless you.